welcome back to Totally Buggin'. We're your hosts, Cammie and Faith. She begged to let me, she begged me to let her do the intro. I feel so. confident today. Yeah, I, good for I, you. I feel like we're, I feel like I'm on a roll. Good. Cammie, you know what's pretty sweet? You'd my love. <laughs> no, honey. Aw. Duh. Me? You're, you are very sweet. <laughs> Okay, so if you couldn't tell by my poorly written joke, today we're going to be talking about honey, the history of it, how it's made, and the different products that are made with honey, and of course, we're going to throw in some honeybee appreciation, because of course we are. OFC. OFC, of course. So first, we're going to talk about like the general history of honeybees. We're going to get very technical with um, different species. Honeybees are all a part of the genus Apis, and of the 20,000 species of bees, there are only seven of them that are considered true honeybees, so bees that make honey. And some argue nine, but today I'm just going to tell you about six. Yeah, we're going to stick. There's the canonical seven. Some are trying to argue nine, like there might be new species or species that like produce a honey-like substance. But I'm just talking to you about six because that's what we've been going over in my bee class. Yeah, as uh, as genomic technology gets better, a lot of times species will end up getting split into two. Yeah, or... Not necessarily, like, merged into one, but I Mm -hmm. feel like we're going to find out. That happens, too, sometimes. Well, and, like, different things are going to be considered more related than others or less related. So, like, the numbers of species that are considered honeybees or bees or any type of insect is going to change as we figure out more about evolution in their genomics yeah my biology of fungi class is a real pain to memorize stuff (laughs) for because we'll learn one name for the order and then it's like that's not a real like taxonomic uh classification so they're actually this but we used to call them this and some people also call it this this bee class is going to be a little not difficult for me but just like i have to work on um memorizing i've never had to memorize like genus and species for classes mm-hmm. it's usually like with bacteria you're just looking at uh families like a uh, pseudomonas or is, is pseudomonas an order or is that a genus well it's genus species yeah genus so species. pseudomonas, pseudomonas flora okay so it Pseudo- is genus. pseudomonas would be the genus it's genus i'm wrong that happens a lot, though. Let, let's be real. That's okay. We're all learning we're here. Learning, we're learning together. Mm-hmm. So today I'm going to tell you about six different uh, bee species, and only two of which are managed commonly by humans, I'll say, in our traditional sense of managing bees. We'll get into it, but there are only two species of bees that actually bee box. That's how they're managed. So on the lineup of honeybees for today, we've got Apis florea, which is the red dwarf honeybee, Apis andreniformis, which is the black dwarf honeybee, they're closely related, the Apis dorsata, which is the giant honeybee, the Apis laboriosa, the giant mountain honeybee, these are super cool, I want to like watch a documentary about these, Mm -hmm. and we'll get into why in a few minutes, Apis Serana, the eastern honeybee, and the Apis mellifera, the western honeybee. If you're in Pennsylvania, Apis mellifera is a, is probably like 99% of what of you'll what see. Of what you'll see, yeah. yeah. 
And we'll actually get into, not controversy, but like just where they're from is not where people think they're from. They are not native to the United States. No, you're right. They are not native to the United States. So first we're going to talk about Apis florea and Apis androniformis. They are both dwarf honeybees that are native to the Asian tropics and subtropics. So think like India, Indonesia, jungly kind of places in Asia. Normally they nest in dense shrubs and small trees, and their nests hang over tree branches and measure about 10 centimeters in length. So imagine walking through the forest of the Asian subtropics And there's just like a hanging beach towel, like a very small, very small little towel Mm -hmm. on the branch. A washcloth. A washcloth on a branch. A hand towel. But it's made of bees. That's kind of awesome. And you get the picture. Their nests are really cool. I'll show you some pictures um, of their nests. Where's Mm -hmm. my iPad, actually? If you hand it to me, I'll show you some. Because they're cool looking. And the species cover the honeycomb with their bodies. So it's not, and that's due to the different, like, nesting strategies of the different bees. So when you walk through the forest and you find one of these nests of bees, it just looks like a curtain of bees, which Mm -hmm. I think is really cool. And I'm looking for a picture now. I have to go into my lecture. Yep, here we go, dwarf honeybees. Oh, how cool. I know, right? Yeah, don't dry your hands on that. The coolest aspect of their nest, in my opinion, is they make a special sticky substance on either side of the nest. Why do you think they would do this, Cami? On the outside or the inside? On, like, either sides of the branch, outside of the nest. For a- attaching the nest so that it doesn't fall, like, maybe reinforcing it? No, that's a good guess. It's actually a sticky trap for other insects. That's clever. So, like, yeah, sticky traps that you buy at the store that we have in the greenhouse that you just, like, lay around your plants to stop other insects, they make it themselves on either side of their nests so that when, like, ants and stuff like that try to walk in or fly in, they get stuck, which I I think is really cool. And now we're going to talk about both species of the giant honeybees um, that have a very similar nesting style to our dwarf honeybees. Apis dorsata is the giant honeybee, which is native to the Asian tropics, again, and live in large bee trees, again, creating a large curtain of bees, this time measuring 50 centimeters. So their nests are about five times bigger than dwarf honeybees to protect the hive and its resources, their honey, their babies, all that stuff. And their nests on the branch, um, I'm holding up my arm as an example, but they have the branch and instead of like encasing the branch, like dwarf honeybees, they, their nest is attached to the bottom of the branch and just hangs straight down. Okay, cool. So it is cool. It just looks a little different. Um, and Apis laboriosa is also similar to dorsata, but it is the giant mountain honeybee. And the best and coolest example of Apis laboriosa, I believe that there's only one species of giant mountain honeybees, but don't quote me on that. There are lots of species of things out there. But there are enormous bee colonies that live in the Himalayan mountains. But that's so cold. They like it. Wait, I don't know if it is. Isn't it? 
Oh. Well, the mountains I just usually think of as being quite cold, and the Himalayas is where Everest is. I think they live... Like, I'm not very good at geography. I think they <laughs> live in, like, the warm parts of the Himalayas. Oh. Like, near the base. But okay. here, look. I have... If I'm wrong about the Himalayas, don't sue me. But there's a picture of beekeepers... Oh, how cool. ...in the mountains with these huge, like, hanging combs of honey, and they have to get on ladders in full bee suits and baskets and basically whack parts of the nest off to collect the honey. And we're also going to get into that, too. Honey collection. That's going to leave a mark. That is going to leave a mark. And then finally, our last two species of honeybees are Apis serrana and Apis mellifera. These two species are also very similar to each other because of how they nest, which is different from the other four species we talked about. They're also the most widely studied because they are easy to keep in labs. They yes. They good model organisms. They are very good model organisms because, like, of how quickly they reproduce and it's easy to, it's easy to start a colony, mm-hmm. which I don't think, I don't know, maybe some of our listeners have worked in a lab. There are different things that are impossible to keep a colony of. Right. For some reason, aphids. Yeah, you've complained about aphids so much. Yeah. Aphids? I hate aphids. They're such a pain. I'm actually working with aphids now. Did I tell you that? Yes, I know. I'm imitating you. Oh. I love them, though. I have to go water my aphids. My aphid. Hey, shout out to my aphids. They're great. They're doing numbers. I'm going to check on them tomorrow. I love them. And my one coworker is a real hater. (laughs) He's a hater. So, Apis serrana and Apis mellifera. How they nest is very similar. These are our cavity nesting bees. So, cavity nesting refers to when a colony of honeybees builds their nest in some kind of cavity or a hole. Um, In nature, these would be things like hollowed out trees or logs, but managed honeybees, so bees that are taken care of by humans, live in boxes with frames in apiaries. These species are also different from each other because of where they're from. The eastern honeybee is native to Asian countries, and the western honeybee... Actually, where do you think the western honeybee, Aphis mellifera, is from? Natively. I was under the impression that they were originally from Europe. We actually don't know for sure. Oh, okay. Um, So there are three hypotheses of where Apis mellifera originated from. So it's either they started in Asia, like they evolved in Asia, and then moved to through the Middle East into Africa, and mm-hmm. then into Europe. So they are, they do live in Europe. Okay. A lot of, they live in Europe. Or they started in Africa and then moved through the Middle East into Asia, and then into Europe, or they started in the Middle East and then moved everywhere else. So basically we're not sure where they're from. That's very interesting. Yeah. Maybe Faith will discover that someday. Um, I'm, <laughs> that would require a lot of, like, genomics and evolution trends, and that's... Hey, she's a smart girly. Um, I try to be a smart girly. I say a lot in the lab that uh, I'm a moron, but I, I try to be a smart girly, but I hate Genom- I hate genomics, man. Oh. I hate okay, it. Okay, maybe someone else will discover someone it else, soon. Someone else can discover it, but just put it. Put us as authors on your paper. We can be the last authors. <laughs> yeah. 
So Apis mellifera basically originated either in Asia, Africa, or the Middle East, and then spread to Europe and further in Africa and Asia. And eventually America, because yes, you Americans listening, you are not cool. You are not the girly. They are not from here. No. Honeybees are not from here. They were brought over. I don't know when, but they were brought over at some point after... I nearly said after Columbus discovered America. That's also not true. He did not discover America. (laughs) So basically, we don't know for sure, but they were brought over at some point. And now that you all know the basics of honeybees, what is the history of honey? Well, honeybees have been making honey for millions of years now. So to keep it simple, we're going to start at when humans started collecting, using, and eating honey. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not going to talk about, like, 300 million years of evolution. Yeah. Just not going to do it. So humans have actually been collecting honey since humans have evolved about 200,000 years ago. Early humans uh, collecting honey was not a great process. Because basically, when humans stumbled across a hive of wild honeybees... The only way to get to the honey was to destroy the entire nest. Like, not only is this dangerous for the humans, but it is completely destructive to the honeybee. Because honeybees, um, they are eusocial, Mm -hmm. so they need to live in a colony in their nest Mm -hmm. with other bees. So destroying their nest essentially can destroy the entire hive. Mm -hmm. And... It only meant that you could harvest honey once from a particular nest at a particular time. Because if the colony did manage to um, regroup enough to make another nest, it would have to be somewhere else and they would have to start from scratch making making their nest. So you could only get honey from one nest at one time. Mm -hmm. And eventually humans figured out that this is much more difficult than like cooperative cooperatively learning how to take honey without destroying the entire hive. So with our tree bees, which are the dwarf and giant honeybees, humans figured out that pieces of the honeycomb can be removed without destroying the entire nest Mm -hmm. by going up on ladders or climbing in trees and selectively removing pieces of the hive that the honeybees can rebuild. So basically you climb up in a tree with like knife or whatever tool they use and they still do this actually this is how they still um collect honey from dwarf and giant honeybees and they just cut chunks out Mm -hmm. and then let the um honeybees rebuild that part of the hive before collecting it again and if you're wondering okay well their hives are only 50 centimeters how are you gonna get enough honey for that to be worth your time Many different colonies of honeybee, of tree bees, will live in the same tree. So there could be multiple colonies in a single tree, just on different branches. And then they go through and collect from each nest. Mm -hmm. And we actually know that humans started collecting honey this way because there are cave paintings. I've seen some of these. That are as old as the, some of the earliest cave Old paintings. as dirt. Old as dirt. But I think it's very cool. It's very clearly like someone climbing up in a tree and Winnie, Poo- Winnie the Pooing their way into honey. Just scooping in there with their big claw. Yep, scooping in there with their hands. Mm-hmm. And there's even ones of 
the like of the Himalayan hunters. Oh yeah, them using tools and structures. Mm-hmm. That's like, really cool. That is really cool. I I honestly want to go down like a hole about cave paintings because That's, I think yeah. they're interesting. And then for our cavity nesting honeybees, humans had to get more creative with their bees, which eventually let because they nesting cavities, it's mm-hmm. a little bit more difficult to harvest. Right. Just you can't really just cut it out mm-hmm. and then so we had to eventually learn to create artificial hives for honeybees to live in this is where we see the emergence of managing bees using constructed materials and for example beekeeping in the middle ages used a human-made hive called a skep cammy do you know what a skep is is it like a gourd no, I think you're thinking oh, of... Oh, that's the Cleopatra thing. Never yeah, mind. Yeah, we can't... Mind. We're not don't, getting into that. Don't, don't look, look that up. Don't look that up. So a skep is basically a wicker basket that was used to keep oh, a colony of honeybees. like the wicker man. Yeah, the wick, it's a wicker basket. And um, the... What, what would you call them? Honey collectors? The beekeepers. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Duh. The beekeepers would also, because it's the Middle Ages, I think they were normally... Ye old beekeepers. Ye old beekeepers. I think they were normally women. That's awesome. I think they were normally, because I've seen pictures of these women wearing, like, long dresses, long sleeves, and then, like, kind of, if you've seen Handmaid's Tale, the, like, some kind of bonnet with, like, a veil, like, a veil, basically, like, kind of what looks like our modern beekeeping suits. But it sounds like they might be a good deal more empowered than those poor women in The Handmaid's Tale. Um, I can't, e- I couldn't even finish watching The Handmaid's Tale because it made me so angry. Oh, yeah, I Just, can't. like, I can't watch, this is horrendous, and I don't want to watch this. Yeah. It's apparently a book. Oh, I've read the book. I, read the book? I won't watch the show because it's basically just torture- you know what. Yeah, I don't want to watch. Is the book worth reading? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. So, don't be skeptical uh-huh. of humans' ability to adapt for the honeybee. There you go. So, gonna be, I'm going to be... That was clever. I'm going to be funny this season. I'm going to be funny. She'll certainly try. I will... You can certainly try. And eventually, humans created our traditional idea of keeping honeybees, the bee box, which contained, and still contains, movable wooden frames that the bees build their comb in and can later be removed for harvesting. And the oldest evidence for bee boxes is dated back to 1669, so the Renaissance. Wow. They are suspected to be in use for over 3,000 years. There's just not physical evidence Mm -hmm. of it being around for that long. So now let's get into the anatomy of bee boxes because for my bee class, we got to go to an apiary. That's so cool. And learn about all the different parts of the bee box. So bee boxes are normally made of up to three three or four boxes that contain an entire colony of honeybees, Mm -hmm. which consists of one queen, yes, one queen, a few hundred male drones, the and there ain't no king. There ain't no, there ain't no king. They genuinely don't do anything. They mate, and then they die. That's it. And she only has eight to twelve mates. So there's just hundreds of extra. 
and then usually 20,000 to 80,000 female workers, which do all the work in the hive. I'm sorry, I had to learn about all the different things, and I was just like, you better work, B. You better work, B. Numbers usually end up at like 50,000 bees. So so this, it looks like a stack of boxes, Mm -hmm. um, usually has about 50,000 bees on it. All of the boxes sit on top of each other and usually up off the ground. And why do you think they would be up off of the ground? Maybe to prevent animals from getting into it? To protect from predators. Okay. And the boxes um, all have wooden frames that can be moved in and out of the boxes. And depending on which box you're looking in, the bees will either be making honeycomb or they will be making new bees. And I got to see... Making the babies. Making the babies. And I got to see both of those. They're really cool. And something else that's interesting, they are really heavy. Like these these boxes. The frames are heavy too. These boxes of bees are really heavy. And there's there's a physical difference between a frame that's filled with honey and a frame that's not. Like you can tell, you can tell the difference. They're really heavy. And Um, If you go look at my Instagram, I have pictures of me (laughs) holding a frame covered in bees. It's so cool. Oh, and also, if you're wondering, um, how can you hold, how can you hold the box without the honeybees, like, stinging you? The first answer is... You just hold the sides. You just hold the sides. I did, like, a little, a little honey collecting trip when I did my uh, internship in North Carolina. Yeah. And I have pictures of me just, like, holding up the... Well, and just... Oh, I have pictures of that, too. Yeah, we'll post them on the Totally Buggin' Instagram. Yeah. Um, But bees alert when they feel threatened. They alert an alarm pheromone in the colony. So, first, just to prevent that pheromone from being released, because, you know, we're students... Um, they need to make sure their bees are. They need to make sure that we are safe from the bees, and the bees are safe from us. Um, the beekeepers that we were with gave them a little puff of smoke, which doesn't really affect anything in the hive, other than changing how the bees smell. So they don't smell the banana pheromone. Mm-hmm. That means attack. And then also, bees have been genetically bred or have been selectively bred to be, (laughs) to be, um, or not to be, to be, actually, you're getting ahead of me, um, (laughs) they've been selectively bred to be more docile, just selectively by humans over the years, they've been bred to have better temperament, because it's, they're easier to work with. Um, are you going to talk about Africanized honeybees? I'm not, but we learned about that. Okay, maybe we'll talk about that another time, but there's one variety of Honeybee that's aggressive. That is aggressive. They are very aggressive. They're not they're not a problem in Pennsylvania. No, so don't worry. More in like more in like Texas. Oh oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. So that bee woman on TikTok who's like join me for another days of saving the bees, and then she'll stick her bare hand into a wild hive. Like she those are those are probably Africanized honeybees. We'll get it, we'll do that another time, but you know, that woman, like, bee people don't like her. Really? <laughs> no, because she, like, encourages like you to do dangerous stuff. No, you should. She's a professional. Is she? Is not she not? A, <gasps> should we do a controversy episode? No, we don't need to do a full call-out episode, but, you know. All right. 
Don't stick your hands into strange hives yeah, without equipment. Yeah, if you don't know what you're doing, don't do that. Like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I would say I know more than the average person, but I still would not do that. No. Don't stick your hand, don't stick your hands in things where they don't belong. True. True. So, depending on which box you're looking in, bees will either be making honeycomb for us to eat or new bees. And one box specifically is used to make new bees, and it's called the brood chamber. Mm -hmm. The brood chamber is separated through the other boxes through, like, a wire screen Mm -hmm. so that the entire box doesn't turn into baby bees. Mm -hmm. Because if the queen was let into the other boxes, she would do her job and lay lots of eggs. And then when you go to get your honey, you're like, oh, crap, this is bees. Mm -hmm. This is bees. And the brood chamber is where the queen, her attendants, and the nurse bees live and take care of their brood. Mm -hmm. Then the other boxes, we have the drones and the worker bees that fill the movable frames with comb. They build the comb themselves. And then eventually they fill it with pollen and honey. So that's about all I have for you. But to wrap it up, I would like to play a game. Okay. To be or not to be. That is the question, Cammy. I suppose it is. I have a list of products that potentially contain honey or honey bee products. Okay. So bee wax, propolis, stuff like that. Okay. And I'm going to share it with you and you just take your best guess to if you think there's honey or honey products. Okay. Okay. First one, honey. Honey. Yes. yes. <laughs> Mead. Yes, that's fermented honey. Root beer. I don't know, but I'm going to say yes. Candy corn. No. Candles. Yes. Soap. Sometimes. I'll accept that. Chapstick. Yes. Skincare products. Yes. Salad dressing. Yes. Okay. All of these contain honey or honey products. Cool. So all of the foods that I mentioned, honey, obviously, mead, Cammie said is fermented honey. I want to make mead so bad. You're just gonna you're just gonna end up with a thing of honey with like a thin layer of mold on top if you tried to make mead. I've seen ways that you can do it at home. But I'm, not, I'm not drinking your bathtub gin. <laughs> I don't I don't want to make bathtub gin. I'm not drinking your moonshine, Faith. Ugh. It's going to make me sick. Ooh. We should talk to one of my lab mates. They make mead. Okay. All the food products have honey in them. Um, root beer and candy corn were the ones that shocked me. But they do contain honey. Candy corn is gross. Candy corn is so gross. So is root beer. I don't like root beer either. I don't like either of those things, but that's not the bee's fault. True. Not the bee's fault. Oh, and salad dressing. Salad dressing. Yes. Honey is a common um, salad dressing and marinade um, thing because it makes it sweet, sweet but like not not sugar. Sugary. Yeah, and also it thickens it. Mm-hmm. And then all of the other things I mentioned: candles, soap, chapstick, and skincare products can either contain honey or beeswax, like Burt's Bees mm-hmm. that has beeswax in it that can have honey flavoring to it. Candles can be made completely out of beeswax mm-hmm. and have honey scent. Soaps have honey scents. Skincare products have honey scents. Honey in it can be made of beeswax. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if anything on here is made of propolis, which for our listeners, propolis is basically 
um, bee glue that they make out of plant material mm-hmm. to keep everything kind of like stuck together and secure. Yeah. Um, and you can chew it, actually. You can't eat it. It's just, it's not very tasty. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And then, yeah, that's about all I have for you. So that's bean totally bugging. <laughs> that's the easiest <laughs> joke to make. I can't help it. All right, all right, all right. Well, we'll, we'll be seeing you next week. <laughs> Thanks for all that. What? Watching? Listening. Listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Totally Buggin'. You can support Totally Buggin' by following us on your favorite podcast platform and sharing our episodes with your friends. We can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok for updates, episode previews, and additional content. You can also message us on those sites to request episode topics. Our website is currently under construction, but it will be back up soon. Thank you.